Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper. We continue with the breaking news. A federal court in Florida unsealed the warrant that investigators used to search the home of former President Trump. The warrant cites three laws, obstruction, removing of government records, and the Espionage Act. The warrant listed the classification of documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago on Monday, including four sets of top-secret documents, three sets of secret documents, three sets of confidential documents. And various documents were marked as top-secret, sensitive, compartmentalized information. This would be material so sensitive that the U.S. goes to excruciating efforts to protect it. Only people with top secret clearance can read these documents, and they have to do it in what's known as a SCIF, or Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. Now, these SCIFs require a special lock and have reinforced walls and electronic methods to prevent spying. I'm going to go right to CNN's Caitlin Poland. So, Caitlin, you have the warrant. What else are we learning from it? Right. Well, Dana, there is more information in here than we could have expected Um, yesterday. There is three pages uh, that really lay out exactly what was seized from the property uh, of the former president, Mar-a-Lago, that beach club that is also his home uh, and is not a secured facility in the way that the federal government sets up secured facilities at this time. Uh, And this list, it was walks through. Uh, There are 33 items here that were seized as far as this list goes. Most of them are boxes with labels on them. One is a leather-bound box of documents. Within it, uh, it appears, the way this is written, that there are various classified TSSCI documents that were taken out of Mar-a-Lago, or at least they were labeled as such. TSSCI is that very high level of classification uh, in the U.S. government, top secret, sensitive, compartmented information. It really is the sort of information that is extremely protected, uh, and only certain people are able to access it. This is what is under investigation, not necessarily the classified information, but just the idea that things that could hurt uh, the national defense, that could hurt the United States, were being kept in an unsecure location. And when we look also at what was being searched, how the federal authorities would have been doing their job, uh, we can see that they were given pretty broad uh, direction as to where they were to go to look. They were to look in the office of the former president, in areas and other rooms being used by the former president, where there could be Uh, documents kept that would be unsecured, things they needed to really get out of that place. And then the other thing that is of interest here is that when this receipt was signed, when it was handed over as the FBI would have been leaving, we see a timestamp of 6.19 p.m. That really does confirm that the FBI worked for most of the day um, to try and take these things off of the premises and get them back into a secure hands. So interesting. Caitlin, thank you so much for that. I want to bring in our CNN senior justice correspondent, Evan Perez. So, Evan, you said something interesting uh, that I even called you about because I said, what? This is really critical. And it's about the three laws 
that are cited in this search warrant. You hear the former president uh, or see him uh, in his statements today saying, I didn't take any classified information. But what you're reporting is, reading these laws, is that's not necessarily relevant. Can you explain that? Well, yeah. So the, the three the three laws. Um, I'll read you the three the three uh, uh, federal codes. One is 793. That's known as the Espionage Act, gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information. Uh, this uh, uh, code 1519. This is destruction, alteration, falsification of records in federal investigations. This is an obstruction statute. Uh, and then there is the 2071, which is uh, concealment and mutilation mutilation of federal documents. Uh, what's interesting about, especially you know, if you look at the, the 793, which is the Espionage Act, the National Defense Information, it doesn't really turn on whether, you know, the, the items are declassified. It doesn't turn on whether you have authority to possess these documents. So the federal government, according to, to this document, uh, the prosecutors of the Justice Department are investigating possible crimes. This is the, the proof they gave to a federal judge to say, we believe uh, at Mar-a-Lago, there were crimes, uh, evidence of these crimes. What it, what's important about this is that they're using specific laws that could inoculate their investigation from what we expect to be the surefire Donald Trump defense, which is, I declassified everything. I, you know, why, by saying so, I automatically declassified things. Uh, of course, we know it's a little more complicated than that, but that's where we know Donald Trump is going to go. We can already see that in some of his defenses. One other thing I should, I think, uh, that stood out to me from this document, real quick, uh, Dana, uh, is you know the the document says that uh, the judge is authorizing the FBI to show up anytime from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. We know that the the FBI showed up around 10 a.m. Uh, it gives you a sense of the deference they were giving to mm. the former president for the office that he held. Uh, you know, they could have gone in there with their FBI jackets. They came in with suits and ties. They came around 10 a.m. They were trying to not make this a spectacle. He is the one that went out, you know, around uh, right after the FBI left the premises uh, and blasted out his statement and has sort of created a spectacle of what had happened here. Evan, just back, that's very interesting and an important point because now we do have these timestamps. But back to your original point, if the former president didn't necessarily break the law, just to use layman's terms, uh, because of, or this wasn't precipitated because of uh, his possession of any classified information, what would be the potential area where he did break the law. Well, this, what, what this means is that you, it doesn't matter that it was classified or not. What they're, what they're trying to say, uh, you know, what, by, by presenting these statutes uh, as the reason for, for doing this search, what the prosecutors are doing is saying that this was a violation of the law simply because by, by putting these documents, mm -hmm. which could harm the United States, uh, these are national defense information documents, that you are violating the law. So you could violate the law even if you, as former president, uh, declassified them, mm -hmm. which is, I think, is what he's going to, to argue. Yeah. Uh, so what this means is that you can break the law even if Donald Trump has already said, you know, I hereby wave a wand and I've declassified things. Evan, such important context and reporting. Thanks, as always. I want to bring in Tom Dupree, who was the number two in the DOJ Civil Division under George W. Bush, and also with me, Kim Whaley, who served as an assistant U.S. attorney. So, Tom, uh, you've read the warrant. You heard 
Evans reporting and Caitlin's as well, these three laws, obstruction, removing of government records, the Espionage Act, what do you make of it? Well, the big ticket one here, Dana, is the Espionage Act. I think that explains what's been going on behind the scenes at the Justice Department, that what this warrant we see today confirms is that this is just not a garden variety dispute about archiving. It's not a ticky-tack dispute about where presidential records are stored. Rather, this really goes to the heart of United States national security. It's an Espionage Act uh, potential charge. And I think what happened at DOJ was they simply said that these documents that the president is refusing to turn back over to the government are not mementos, souvenirs of his time in office. Rather, they are documents that have a direct material relevance to the national security of the United States. That's why we need them back. And that's why it was appropriate to execute a warrant on Mar-a-Lago. Kim, what are your thoughts? Well, Dan, of course, I've just been able to read the warrant and, and look at these statutes, but there are a couple things that jump out to me. One is the Espionage Act is actually really long. Mm. Uh, there's a part of it that says authorized users cannot share this information. Whether he's authorized or not, I think is unclear. It's unless he unless he somehow waved his magic wand and declassified things under the Presidential Records Act, he did not have any legal right to have this. So I think it's possible another provision of that act would apply. The warrant, it doesn't say which subsection. The other provisions apply if there's intent to share information uh, in order to injure the United States or to advantage foreign nations. I think that's quite interesting, right? Mm. The obstruction statute, also very interesting because it's not just obstruction by having these things. It's you are destroying or concealing documents in order to obstruct another investigation. So my question would be, what are they, did, did, was there probable cause to believe is the other investigation that these documents in Mar-a-Lago were allegedly potentially there to obstruct. Um, and then, of course, the last one is more you just can't have the you can't destroy or conceal uh, these kinds of documents. So um, this this is you know, these are this is potentially decades in prison. Uh, at, last point I wanted to make is it's unclear whose intent we're talking about here. Of course, Donald Trump is the resident of Mar-a-Lago, Mar the owner, but they're it's, it's unclear from the warrant if they're talking about Donald Trump personally or if it, it's him and other people or it's other people that that would have been potentially in violation of these federal laws. Tom's a, a lot uh, there that Kim was just talking about. One thing I want to sort of hone in on here, and that is the obstruction part that she was talking about. Is that suggesting I mean, what I guess let me just give you an open ended question. What do you make of that with regard to him potentially holding something that has to do with an, another ongoing investigation. How do you read that? Right. Look, I, I read that as somewhat of an open-ended charge. In other words, prosecutors can charge obstruction in a dozen different ways. Mm -hmm. And on the factual scenario, as we understand it, it, it's not clear. I mean, as Kim said, we don't know precisely what the alleged obstruction was. We don't know who was doing the alleged obstruction. We don't know what that person was obstructing. I think in a situation like this, where you have someone who is recalcitrant, to say the least, in turning over records, who is non-cooperative with federal authorities, who's stonewalling at every turn, I think that gives rise just to a, a facial case of potential obstruction of an investigation 
of trying to figure out who has these records, what records are stored, why they're not being put back. And so I think when you're going into a federal judge to get permission to execute a warrant, it's very natural for prosecutors to put in these exact types of obstruction statutes, even if they don't know at the time exactly how they're going to charge it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's important. It doesn't necessarily mean that is what they are investigating, right, which might seem a little bit uh, incongruous. Tom, just sticking with you, because you served at the highest levels of the Department of Justice. I'm thinking about what the president's attorneys have said um, sort of quietly to CNN reporters and others, which is we, we were in conversations with the DOJ and we thought things were going well, and then they went silent. We thought this was over, and then all of a sudden they were at our door. What do you make of that, given what we see with this search warrant? Yeah, it, look, number one, it doesn't surprise me at all that the way this whole series of events began was with negotiations and compromise. That's the way that the Justice Department works. That's the way that past disputes involving presidential records and the like have been resolved. It's a situation. It's a dance, a two-step of negotiation, compromise. Obviously, something went seriously off the rails. I don't think we know at this point enough to know whether it was that the president's team just basically stonewalled and pressured DOJ into saying enough is enough. We're not going to take this anymore. We're going to go execute. Or if there was something else behind the scenes that created a sense of urgency at the Justice Department that they said, look, we have to just end this right here. We have to go in and get these documents. We can't afford to wait another week, another month, because something is going to happen. I, I suspect when, if and when we see the supporting affidavit for the search warrant, mm -hmm. some of this mystery might be in a little bit. Well, that's a really good point, because the search warrant, um, I mean, you each of you has seen search warrants many, many times in your lives, in your professional lives. Uh, Kim, this is pretty um, uh, vague. It's not very specific. Is that what we have to wait for, for the affidavit to be more specific? And that affidavit is obviously also something that the judge would have have to have seen before approving this warrant? Right. So under the Fourth Amendment, the warrant has to be supported by probable cause. And that is someone under oath explaining the facts. This has, We have the law now in the, in the warrant, but the facts, the narrative, the story that gives rise to uh, probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime on the property. Uh, as you indicate, Dana, normally we don't see these things. Mm -hmm. um, I was... Uh, and I th don't think alone in being surprised that Merrick Garland decided yesterday to comment on this investigation and to move to unseal uh, this motion. So we might not see the affidavit. Um, and I, I, you know, it seemed like not knowing Merrick Garland, but it seemed like he's concerned about the safety of members of the FBI, the Department of Justice, maybe even the magistrate judge, uh, and kind of took on Donald Trump and said, OK, if you're going to make this public, um, then I will let's do it officially. And so it sounds like now the former president's talking about the affidavit. We'll just have to see how it plays out. But t but typically you wouldn't see this. This would all be under wraps right. unless and until there was some litigation around it or an actual indictment. Right. That's why I mentioned each of you would have seen this uh, in your work at DOJ, but not uh, not in, not in watching CNN or reading the newspaper. All right, stick with me, both of you, because we have a lot more to talk about on this breaking news of federal court in Florida unsealing the warrant that investigators used to search the home of former President Trump. And coming up, classified documents that reportedly included information about nuclear weapons. How should that be handled? 
My next guests will have their take, plus a surge in violent rhetoric online since Monday's surge at Mar-a-Lago, some of it apparently pushed by a man who targeted an FBI field office, and how Republicans on Capitol Hill today, at least some of them, called for calm. back with our politics lead new reporting possibly shedding light on the urgency the Justice Department felt to execute a search warrant at Trump's Mar-a-Lago property. The Washington Post reports that federal agents were looking for classified documents related to nuclear weapons. I want to bring in retired Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling and former presidential advisor David Gergen. Thank you, gentlemen, uh, for coming in on this uh, very, very busy Friday afternoon. General Hurtling, I want to start with you. You have a lot of experience dealing with material at the highest security and classification levels. Some of these documents were marked top secret SCI, which is, of course, the highest level of classification and could presumably include materials about nuclear weapons, as The Washington Post is reporting. Is there any normal process where materials like this would be in a private residence, even in the private residence of a former president? None whatsoever, Dana. I will say that emphatically. Uh, It belongs in a SCIF facility. It belongs under the control of what's called an SSO, a special security officer. They track the documents. They know where they are. That's probably why they knew that Mr. Trump had had absconded with some of them when he went to Mar-a-Lago and didn't give them back. So yeah, there is no way that these belong in the private hands of any individual, even a a former president. And David, you have extensive experience as a presidential advisor. Would it be normal for top secret materials from your perspective? Have you ever seen anything even close to this to be out of the White House or or out of SCIFs and in the private residence of a former president? Well, General Hurtman, I think, is absolutely right. You know, they're taken very seriously if, in fact, they're at the top levels. You get documents that are in the top, top this level we've been talking about for the last few days. Uh, then there is a great deal of protection. Frankly, I've seen a lot of administrations that are pretty relaxed when you take it down two or three notches. You get down to confidential in particular. Mm-hmm. I've seen people walk off with documents that fought the, you know, the archives people about what to keep, what not to keep. And, um, you know, so I think that the, the lower level, and this, this is but what we find here, I don't think is lower level. There's a lot more to be learned. Uh, we know less about what uh, less about what's in these documents than we know than the amount we know in them, uh, and I think the next few days are going to be crucial to see whether, in fact, when we talk about being nuclear related, they're really related to nuclear weapons, mm. which is one thing. A different thing if it's linked to link nuclear strategy. It's quite a different thing to be linked to uh, nuclear power. There are a lot of different ways you can interpret that. So we've got a lot yet to learn. But I think overall, I think we can. There's a, we should have a sense of relief tonight that both parties backed down some, uh, and they tried to work this out. It, it, we've been better off. We never had heard of Mar-a-Lago in this in this sense. We'd be better off if we didn't have uh, uh, the attorney general have to go out and back down from something he said earlier in the week. But nonetheless, overall, it's a good thing that we actually found grown-ups who would sit down and work together and get this worked out. General Hurtling, from a national security perspective, talk about the, the potential problems. Like, why are these rules in place? What is the potential problem with having something that is supposed to be read in a top secret facility that has all of the 
um, the the technology to prevent spies from coming in, what you see on the top of your screen in red, top secret SCI. What is the reason for this? And again, what is the potential problem with having it outside that facility? Yeah, it's, it's actually outlined in the in the law that says what each thing could cause. Hmm. You know, there was a tranche of confidential documents. That's information which is defined as might damage or disclose elements of national security. Secret documents would cause, and I'm quoting here, serious damage to national security to include disruption of foreign relations, description of plans or intelligence operations or compromise of technologies. Top secret information, Dana, that's the unauthorized closure of reason, what could reasonably be expected to cause, quote, exceptionally grave damage to national security. Uh, you know, I, I take a different view of this, having been involved in these kinds of things and knowing what's in them. When you're talking about top secret SCI, the sensitive compartmented information, which is, by the way, not a separate category. There's only three categories of uh, information. That, that chart you're showing right now is incorrect. Mm-hmm. TSSCI is restricted to those who have not only a top secret clearance, but a need to know of certain details. So in other words, I could have a top secret, I, uh, I personally could have a top secret cl- uh, clearance, could go in and read any top secret document. But as soon as one of them says SCI, that means there's something special about that, that I only have to have a need to know in terms of methods and people involved. That's critically important. That belongs in a skiff because it endangers mm-hmm. not only national security, but the people who are involved in producing it. And you mm. just don't retroactively declassify this kind of stuff uh, by saying, I hereby declassify it, because there are people who are controlling these documents who know the danger that it puts other people in. That's the critical part of this. Such important context. Thank both of you for, uh, for joining me. Appreciate it. And we will get Donald Trump's reaction to this ordeal next. We're back with more on the breaking news about a federal court releasing the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago. Let's bring in CNN's Caitlin Poland. So, Caitlin... What is the former president saying about this warrant? Well, Dan, at around 2.30, we got a statement from Donald Trump saying, number one, it was all declassified. Number two, they didn't need to seize anything. They could have had it anytime they wanted. And then in all caps, he wrote, all they had to do was ask. But hold on a second. They did ask. The Justice Department did ask multiple times. The attorney general even alluded to this in his statement yesterday, saying they would have done less intrusive means to get these documents back if they could have. We know that the National Archives was asking for records from Trump. We know that they obtained boxes in January, including ones that had taped up documents in them. And then we know there was ultimately a subpoena in June following a meeting with the president's lawyers down at Mar-a-Lago trying to get back these things, including those 33 items that were taken out uh, as this cr- these crimes are being investigated. You know, ultimately, Dana, the thing to remember here is that this is a search and seizure. It's part of a process, and this is an ongoing criminal investigation. Everything that has happened up to this point will be factoring in, including and not just what was removed from Mar-a-Lago on Monday. Caitlin, thank you so much. Uh, here with our panel, I'm going to get to the former president's reaction later, but let's just start by chewing on the search warrant a bit. Uh, Mario Parker, your thoughts on it? 
No, it looks like, Dana, we finally got some clarity after almost five days, right, where we were just inundated with conspiracy theories from the former president, Republicans rallying to his side, questions about what the warrant entailed. And now we got it. We understand now, based off of the contents of the warrant, that it did stem around, the investigation does stem around very sensitive, top secret, in fact, information. And so now the American public has something to kind of understand why we had this unique situation where a former president's house was raided. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, first of all, I think this is going to create questions for the DOJ. Why did they wait three days to execute the search warrant? If these were such cla- top secret SCI classified documents that could seriously damage the U.S. national security, the judge gives you the go ahead on a Friday. Why do you wait till Monday? That, I know the search warrants are, they say you have two weeks to execute it. But there's a little clash there for me. So that's, that's a hard question. And I think also we have to wonder why back in June did the FBI visit that same part of Mar-a-Lago and say, okay, guys, you're good. Just get a better lock for the door. So there are some questions that remain, but I think they're DOJ questions, which I suspect they'll never answer. Well, there are a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. Those are just some of them. I actually think it's worth stepping back for a second because I think when this first broke, there was a sense of, oh, is this a dispute with the National Archives? Is it about presidential records? Is it about January 6th? And we now know there's a whole other investigation that none of us really were aware of a few weeks ago that has to do with espionage, obstruction, destruction of property. Like, this is completely above and beyond still the January 6th questions that really need to be investigated and we think the DOJ is involved in and all all the other sort of challenges, legal challenges that Trump faces. And so I actually think this is pretty, a lot more um, sobering and frightening, I think it should be for the American people, than just oh, he had records he shouldn't have. There's clearly a lot more to it. And I should say, um, you said there were investigations, even though this was a search warrant with three criminal laws written on it, it doesn't tell us that much about, if we could even call it an investigation, certainly not espionage. Having said that, there were, if you look at the, uh, the, the item list, there were several things that were considered top secret, the highest level of classification. You're not even supposed to take out of a secure location. Right. I had SCI clearance when I worked in the White House for a specific project I was working on. So I know the way you're supposed to handle. Uh, You don't actually handle them. I mean, when I got to see, in this case, it was satellite pictures, I was taken to a special location. I looked at it. I was not allowed to talk about it at all. This is really serious stuff. And, you know, the idea that Donald Trump thought that he could wave a wand, abracadabra, everything's declassified. First of all, we don't know what's in those. One of the most important things uh, that is in SCI documents, images, whatever, is that it can give you information about the sources and methods that the United States uses to gather information. And just that knowledge can jeopardize lives. And so... You know, for for a group of people who were out there screaming, lock her up because of emails on servers that were not even at that level uh, in terms of classification. I think this is just uh, really the height of hypocrisy. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about the political reaction and ramifications in a minute. Uh, The surge in extremist rhetoric as well. So stick around. We're going to get into all that after a quick break. In our national lead, violent extremist rhetoric and threats amped after the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago, we have new details about the man 
killed during a standoff Thursday after he tried to breach an FBI field office in Ohio. CNN's Brian Todd reports social media posts matching the suspect's name grew increasingly agitated and violent after the Mar-a-Lago search. On a social media account bearing the name of the suspect in Cincinnati, 42-year-old Ricky Schiffer, the user seemed to fixate on revenge for the FBI search of Donald Trump's home, Mar-a-Lago. On Monday, the day of the Mar-a-Lago raid, the user wrote, People, this is it. I hope a call to arms comes from someone better qualified. But if not, this is your call to arms from me. This was totally predictable. Not the person, not the place, but the fact that angry people would take up arms and do something something violent was absolutely predictable. And the worst part is the people who were pushing that rhetoric, they knew it. They knew what would happen. And clearly they made the decision to go forward. Also on Schiffer's account, the user encouraged others to go to gun and pawn shops to, quote, get whatever you need to be ready for combat. When another person responded to the user saying they'd send his picture and information to the FBI, the user responded, bring them on. I think a lot of their effort right now will be focused on who he was connected with and what others may do. So people who have been involved with this individual, either through uh, social media or in uh, day-to-day activities, I hope they're a little bit nervous. Two law enforcement sources tell CNN Ricky Schiffer was previously known to the FBI because of his connections with the January 6th attack on the Capitol. His social media accounts user claimed they were in Washington that day, but didn't say whether they entered the Capitol. Our sources say he also had associations with the far-right extremist group, the Proud Boys. Since the Mar-a-Lago raid, CNN has found ramped-up extremist rhetoric in online forums sympathetic to Trump. One post CNN found called for violence against FBI agents. The thing that I have seen already people talking about and maybe fantasizing about as their potential trigger might be a a potential arrest or, or detention of Donald Trump. All of which means there is added tension among law enforcement agents. Former U.S. Capitol Police Chief Terrence Gaynor, whose son is a retired FBI agent, told us that he has spoken to several agents since the Mar-a-Lago raid. He says they are telling him they are now taking added precautions for their safety and for the safety of their families. Dana, a lot of law enforcement agents are really on edge following that Cincinnati attack. Completely understandable. Brian Todd, thank you so much for that report. And House Republicans are scrambling to affirm their support of law enforcement. Here's the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee. I want to begin by stating that all of our members um, of this committee are uh, in full support of the men and women who uh, every day work to keep our nation safe uh, at the FBI and the Department of Justice, and we condemn any actions of violence against any law enforcement personnel. He did emphasize they still have questions for leadership at the DOJ and FBI. However, his colleague and member of the House GOP leadership, Elise Stefanik, sounded very different. House Republicans are committed to immediate oversight, accountability, and a fulsome investigation to provide needed transparency and answers to the American people regarding Joe Biden and his administration's weaponization of the Department of Justice and FBI against Joe Biden's political opponent. Back with our panel. David, what do you make of the the first statement is something that we would expect. You you would have written and given that statement, Linda Chavez, (laughs) at any year that you were uh, serving in government or or elsewhere. The second, not so much. Is there a little bit of um, concern that Republicans like Stefanik would 
comments like that are going to have egg on their face if well, when we have all the uh, information? Maybe. But right now it's a political question. Look, I spent about 300 days on the road during the 2016 campaign, 15 and 16, talking to Trump voters. I still keep in touch with a focus group, about 120 of them. And I've been emailing furiously with them today. And to a man and a woman, they all say, this is ridiculous. This is an overreach of federal power. This is no different from them saying Trump was trying to target the guy who wanted his job, Joe Biden, during the whole thing about the, the Ukraine phone call. They're going to play this as politically. And I think uh, th- this particular congresswoman is the first but not the last instrument of that political play. I would say that if Donald Trump told his supporters that the earth was flat, you would have your focus group and they would try to convince you the earth was flat. So, look, there has been a sea change. But the idea that Republicans back the blue when you have Republicans who are members of Congress in responsible positions referring to the FBI as if they were Gestapo agents, that is a sea change. I do think that's the biggest change right now is that the, it's not just a bunch of facts. It is that this party now, the MAGA Republicans, embrace lawlessness. They are, they are comfortable encouraging political violence. It's one thing to question the FBI and say, hey, we need, we need transparency. It's a wholly other thing to, you know, uh, ramp up the rhetoric around violence and encourage political violence as a response to these kinds of investigations. And that's the line that's really been crossed and changed. And there was a vacuum, right, between Monday when we learned about the raid and then when Merrick Garland addressed everyone on Thursday, right? That allowed those conspiracy theories, some of that distrust that we've seen the former president sow before, that allowed that to travel around the world, to to paraphrase Mark Twain, right, at the speed (laughs) of light compared to when we got more clarity on Thursday and then now today with the actual warrant. Listen to what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said just today about all of this. I think what is important now is to know the seriousness of what these uh, documents were about, alleged to be about. We don't know. Well, hopefully we'll see more, but we don't want to see too much more because that might endanger our, our security. The point you were making. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and I mean, you know, it is really unfortunate that Members of Congress don't take a deep breath when they see something like this happen and say, let's get the facts. That used to be the way we did it in the old days. It's no longer the case. It's all politicized. It's all polarized. And it's all about demonizing the other side. Because of what you were reporting. I mean, there, there is a very clear reason that the former president wanted to break the news himself with the language that he used uh, very much uh, attacking law enforcement. Well, let's remember, Donald Trump does not know how to play on the defensive side of the football. He's all offense all the time and always has been. And that's part of his appeal, I think, to MAGA nation, if you want to call it that. He's going to be under some pressure right now to declare his run for presidency soon. The RNC doesn't want him to do that because they don't want the midterms to be about that. Right. But he's going to be under some pressure because if they indict him, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it, it is. The, the other issue is that the whole underpinning of this discussion is legal troubles for him. And guess who pays his legal bills? <laughs> the RNC. <laughs> for now. Wait, for now. And it wouldn't, they wouldn't if he, he declared. He certainly which is, doesn't. Well, yeah. Well, that's a whole other discussion. Thank you all. Great discussion. Happy Friday. Thanks, Ian. And the Trump Mar-a-Lago search warrant cites three laws that were potentially broken. So is the former president in legal jeopardy? That's next. We're continuing to track breaking news. A judge has unsealed the search warrant used to search Mar-a-Lago, showing the FBI took 11 sets of classified documents from the former president's resort home, including 
highly classified material. I want to bring in former Trump White House attorney Jim Schultz. So uh, first, you read this. What are your thoughts on the substance of what this search warrant says about what the DOJ felt so desperately that they needed? Look, if they if they needed to get it, it's going to be one of four areas, if you will, that that were that would be very important to get. One is it going to reveal sources and methods, you know, and how we con- how we conduct our business overseas, some of the, and, and maybe domestically. So sources and methods and how we gather intelligence. The second area would does it involve any of the nuclear programs that others don't know about? Right? Does it reveal any any potential programs that we don't want to get out of the hands of? Of, of folks who have authorization to have it. And then lastly, you know, is there something in there could, that could have benefited someone personally in, you know, uh, uh, the, the former president, someone around the former president? That's something else that they might be looking for uh, as it relates to these documents that are there, that there might have been a sense of urgency. Beyond that, I, I, don't, I don't see much more. How much legal jeopardy is the former president in? Look, I think it's way too soon to tell how those documents got there, who, who delivered them there, you know, were they declassified? There's so many questions that need to be answered. The bottom line is, is the documents have been collected now, are back where they should be, and then that's for the Justice Department to evaluate in terms of how they got there, who brought them there, you know, why they were there, why they weren't returned, why they didn't respond to the subpoena. There's that, you know, obviously they were going back and forth with the former president's lawyers on this. Why did it, there are going to be some questions, the political questions that Congress is going to ask in terms of why the timing, how come it took so long to do this? And I think those are all valid questions that will be asked at some point in time. Jim, you worked with President Trump. How did you see him handle classified information? So I, I wasn't I, I didn't work in the national security realm with with it when I was in the White House. So I couldn't comment on that anyway. But but, uh, you know, we've seen, ty- you know, in terms of things that he did in public reports, you know, he, he was he was not he was he it was publicly reported that how he kept documents wasn't necessarily the traditional way that you would keep documents, whether they were classified or not. That's not something I can speak to. But in terms of ripping things up or flushing things down the toilet, you've heard all these rumors. Some of them have been confirmed. Some of them haven't been confirmed. But I, I think those are all questions that folks are going to be asked around that, that worked in the White House and worked in that realm. Not traditional is very, um, very diplomatic, <laughs> the way that you just put that. Uh, what do you make of the argument that his uh, Trump's attorneys are saying, well, they were declassified, especially given what you just said at the very beginning of our discussion, which is that might not be relevant if the sources and methods are uh, of getting information on the front end are in jeopardy. Well, that, that's the thing, right? You, the, the real key is to get the information back that, you, even, that could even be accidentally disco- disclosed to our enemies or to anyone abroad. So I, I think that's the important point here is getting that information back. And DOJ has to make some judgments in terms of, you know, whether there are charges coming on that. It's way, so, way too soon to tell. Former Trump attorney Jim Schultz, thank you so much. Thank you. And the potential implications of the Justice Department's actions this week coming up. The lineup this weekend on State of the Union, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Mike Turner, and Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. That's Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern and noon right here on CNN. 
If you ever miss an episode of The Lead, you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Our coverage continues right now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 